Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. From KQED. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Yumi Shasinder may be the ultimate Washington multitasker. She's the White House correspondent for the PBS NewsHour, a political contributor for NBC News and MSNBC, and this spring, Alcindor was named the new moderator of Washington Week. The current affairs program has been on the air since 1967. So great to have you on with us, uh, Yamish Alcindor. Welcome to Forum. Thanks so much for having me. And I understand that you have just returned from a much-deserved vacation, which just made me think about how intense the last four years must have been covering D.C., but especially for journalists covering the White House. And as I understand it, Trump was the first sitting president that you covered as a White House correspondent. Yamish, are you there? And have we lost Yamish Alcindor? Okay, while we try to reestablish that connection, uh, I will invite you, our listeners, if you have questions for Yamish, you can give us a call at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. Perhaps you are a fan of the PBS NewsHour Washington Week of Yamish's work. You can tell us on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us forum at kqed.org, or maybe you are an aspiring journalist and have questions for Yamish on that. And Yamish, are you back with us? I am back. Isn't that so 2021? <laughs> I like try so, to get on. <laughs> it is so 2021. And also the fact that, you know, we're doing, I'm doing this remotely, so I don't even know if you have uh, lost the connection. So I have to ask and wait. It's like my but, phone uh, telling me to go back on vacation. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if you heard my question, but I, I was really st struck by the fact that you, that Trump was the first sitting president that you covered because, I mean, just your professionalism in the face of, of some of the things that he would say, some of the bullying, I mean, for lack of a better way of describing it. Um, and I'm curious what lessons you learned from that and uh, what may have carried over for you as you cover Biden now. It's a great question. And he was president, former President Trump was the first president that I ever covered. And I think luckily for me, I had started out in this very traditional um, way of journalism by starting out covering my working for my local newspaper, which is the Miami Herald and covering local politics and then covering um, state politics for Newsday and, and other places. Uh, it's a paper on Long Island. Um, and then then I ended up landing at the White House after a couple after covering a couple of other things. But I say all that to say I had encountered people, especially politicians, who would sometimes get aggressive, who would sometimes am trying to score political points or trying to confuse journalists, would, would go after them. So I, in some ways, had this sort of foundation of like, I know what this feels like when a politician tries to deflect when you're trying to ask them a, a pointed question. So, of course, I had never done that with millions of people watching. So it was a sort of out of body experience um, when the president was saying things like you're nasty and and you're threatening. Um, but I also had this real sense, especially in 2020. And I, 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 in some ways, credit my family for this and also credit a lot of my mentors. I had this really grounded sense of the country is really, really looking 
asking for answers. People are dying. People are, are burying generations of their families with, with people that had family members on generators who, who, were, who were fighting for their lives. And here was a president who didn't have basic answers to, are we going to have enough tests? Are we going to have enough ventilators for the country to, to, to get through this pandemic? So I think that that, 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 that was a, in some ways a blessing that I was so focused on how people were just struggling that I didn't get caught up in the back and forth of, of the president. Um, I think one of the things that I carried, the lessons I carried over from the Trump administration that I carry into the Biden administration is that this is that the work that I do, and I think the work that a lot of journalists do, it's incredibly important and it sometimes can become mundane. Like I, I have gotten used to walking into the White House. I still sort of look at the building in awe, but it can feel like, oh, it's just any other job. When in fact, cover questioning the president of the United States, questioning the White House aides, you're doing this work that will then that will then spread through the entire country. So I'm thinking of the just last week, um, the president, or, or maybe a couple weeks now, the president of Haiti was assassinated. And mm -hmm. I knew that I needed to make my question um, very clear, very pointed, but also very simple so that President Biden, who was about to get on a helicopter, he would answer something and, and, and say something about that, that assassination. So I started shouting out the word Haiti, just yelling it out over and over again while the president was walking to the helicopters. And I was like, this is a Trump muscle. This is absolutely a Trump muscle that I'm using <laughs> because I used to remember screaming out like the word immigration just so that President Trump, former President Trump would come over and try to take my, take my question. Wow, that is an awesome story. And I also love hearing about the source of your groundedness being that you're really thinking about the people who need answers and also the people who often whose voices or questions are not included in the national discourse. I was really appreciative of reporting that you did on how immigrants from nations with dictators or authoritarian, or authoritarian leaders, how they were reacting to Trump lying about truly winning the election, because I didn't feel like that that was a story that I heard very much. Exactly. And that was a story that came directly from my mother, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> no complication there. Uh, my mom and my dad are from Haiti. They fled when there was a dictator. Um, I, I did an earlier story for the New York Times when President Trump, former President Trump, um, had he threatened to put Hillary Clinton in jail um, during a debate. And my mom said, oh, that's what you would see in Haiti. And I was like, oh, that's a story. And I ended up writing that story for the, for the New York Times. Um, and I did the same thing again when he started again, not wanting to concede. I'm on the phone with my mom and she's like, well, this is, we're basically back in Haiti. And I was like, you know what? That's, a, that's another story. <laughs> so interviewing people from Haiti and from Burma and from all these different places to, to talk about how immigrants who came to this country who were so um, ready to embrace America and how, how well they thought our, our democracy functioned, how horrified they were to see when the, when the dem democracy showed how fra fragile it was. Yes, I love that. Our immigrant parents being the source of stories, yes. like really showing us, you know, what needs I know, my to mom be demands byline sometimes, but I don't <laughs> give it to her. <laughs> well, Constance writes, please let Yamisha Sender know that she and the entire team at the PBS NewsHour are in my pantheon of American heroines and heroes. Thank you for your reporting during perilous times to our American democracy. So I, speaking of perilous times, and you have brought up Haiti, what was your reaction to the assassination of Haitian President Jovenel Moise? He was, he was just laid to rest. 
Yeah, I mean, it, I was shocked by it. I woke up to about 12 missed calls from my mom at 6.30 in the morning and thinking, you know, when you get so many calls like that in the middle of the night or early, early morning, it was very, very scary. And I called her back thinking something had happened to my brother or something else. And when she said, you know, the president of Haiti has been assassinated, it took my breath away because I had just done a story a couple months ago before that for the PBS News Hour explaining to people what was going on. And I knew just the depths of crisis, you know, this is a country that so many people are are, are are familiar with for saying, okay, that's a country that's poor. But the last few years have been a new rock bottom for Haiti. Haiti has never seen a mm. uh, 200% increase in kidnappings. They've never seen large swaths of the country be controlled by gangs. And to then see that violence that had been um, plaguing everyday people's lives then make its way into the presidential palace um, was just, it, it was just shocking. And now, of course, we're hearing so all, all sorts of things about who could have been involved in the assassination. There's a, you know, big questions there. We're having a, we're going to, we're working on a story now um, for NewsHour about what people on the ground are saying and, and how skeptical they are, frankly, of the government's um, official line of what, what could have happened because there were no presidential guards um, killed during the, their, during the assassination. So there are big questions about was this an inside job? How many people were involved? Um, so it's it's a fascinating story, but it's also a, a really sad story because you know this is the land of my ancestors, and to think that it's a place right now that I don't feel safe going back to is really sad. Yeah, you're talking about the people on the ground there. I'm curious also how Biden's approach to Haiti thus far is going over with Haitian Americans that you've been talking with. It's a, and most people I will say, have to say are disappointed in President mm -hmm. Biden um, because they feel as though he was really still ignoring Haiti much. And they and they say this. I've heard this from from clergy members. I've heard this from um, human rights activists on the ground and everyday people. They feel like President Biden is continuing the strategy of, of the Trump administration, which was really to kind of ignore Haiti and its problems. And they feel like President Biden should be more interested in, in, in trying to help Haiti. Now, of course, the, the Biden administration is saying, we are helping. We have FBI investigators. We're sending millions of dollars to Haiti. Um, but they also, President Biden has made clear he doesn't want to send U.S. troops to Haiti, which was an official request by the Haitian government. But I will tell you that last decision is going over somewhat better than his overall policy because there are a lot of Haitians on the ground who say they don't want to see U.S. troops on the ground either because that would feel like an occupation and it would take them back to the 1990s when Haiti was occupied for a while by U.S. Um, troops. So there was just a real, uh, I think, a real... Um, concern on the ground that any sort of U.S. military interaction isn't going to end well. So I think President Biden in that regard is getting good reviews from people. But overall, people are still wondering, does he really care about the Haitian people? Um, of course, he says he does. So we'll just have to see what happens. We're talking with you, Michelle Sinder, moderator of Washington Week on which airs Friday evenings on PBS, moderator of Washington Week, among many roles that she plays. And if you have a question, you can always post them on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum or email them to forum at kqed.org. We're getting a lot of praise. You've got a lot of fans among our audience here. Yamish Robert writes, thank you, Yamish, for standing strong in the face of ignorance, criminal obfuscations, and outright racism. And Zoe writes, I am a super fan of Yamiche Alcindor, both on PBS NewsHour, which I watch daily, and Washington Week. I feel like a proud mama watching her over the years and doing reports, cheering her on when Trump was mean to her because she hit him with a hard question. I wish her many years of reporting and planning to watch her and others on PBS NewsHour daily. So glad to hear her on forum. Yamiche, what is it like for you to fill the seat 
once held by your mentor, Gwen Ifill? Uh, it's, it's so surreal um, because I had the, the benefit and the blessing of being mentored um, by, by Gwen Ifill and many of her friends like Ithalia Knight, who was a longtime Washington Post reporter, and Michelle Norris, who was at NPR for a long time. And I had this sort of this 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 group of women who poured into me, who gave me confidence, who answered my calls if I was crying because I didn't get a job, who helped me apply to like over a hundred places, wanted to get my first job ever, um, and to to now have this seat, um, I can feel her smiling, I can feel her spirit when I'm planning the show, when I'm thinking about the show. And I feel like I have this enormous responsibility not to fill her shoes because I don't think they can ever be filled, but to just do right by the show, to just make sure that I'm taking great care of it and that I'm putting on the right people and I'm thinking about the right, um, the right segments and I'm, and, I'm, and I'm treating the staff with respect and, and setting an example for other young women who might be coming after me. So I also love this, this, this job because I'm able to do what Gwen did for me for other women, welcome them onto the show if they're new reporters and young and, and but have good information that can come on the show. But also through the staff, having we have a Gwen Eiffel Fellow who can come and um, be part of the staff and can can do work in her name. So I'm I, I'm I every day I wake up and I think I cannot believe I'm the moderator of Washington Week. This is incredible and and just it blows my mind every single day. Well, I love the story of when you were first booked on Meet the Press that you called Gwen Eiffel, and I was wondering <laughs> what she told you. I call, I was booked on Meet the Press for the first time and I was in, I was in my 20s and I was terrified. And Gwen essentially said, you deserve this. You know, everything um, that everyone else sitting around that table does, you've earned this, you are ready for this. And it was mm -hmm. the kind of thing that Gwen would say to me um, when I called her in a panic, which, um, I, which will, I will admit was somewhat often. <laughs> and I would say, you know, I don't know if I can do this. And in that particular instance, I remember her just being so much more confident than I was about my abilities and her just really breathing in confidence to me. And I take that when I, my first day at Washington week, um, my first time moderating, I was so nervous. And the New York Times wrote a story and the end of the story with that same quote from Gwen saying, I deserve this, you're ready. And in some ways I felt like it was her speaking to me and reminding me of what she told me then. And I, I tried to hold on to those words when I'm nervous about an assignment or if I think I'm not going to be doing well or if I think I had a, not a great show it, I know that I'm just growing into this and that I, I can do it I, if I put my mind to it and I say, I say that to my mentees too that you you can do this you can figure this out um, if you really really want to. Michelle Sinder is the White House correspondent for PBS NewsHour the moderator of Washington Week and a political contributor for NBC News and MSNBC, you're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Beth writes, we really like you, Michelle Cinder, on the PBS NewsHour and now Washington Week. Is it hard to keep one's own political views out of one's reporting? It's a great question. And I think at the beginning, I thought about the beginning of my career, I thought it would be very hard to keep my opinions to myself um, because we're all human and we all have what our backgrounds and what we think about the world. But I think the more I do this job, the more I, the more I realize that if you're, if you're asking all the, all the right questions, or at least you, you remain curious, you won't have these sort of strong views on things because you realize that at least in, in my view, both political parties have real big challenges ahead of them. Both political parties um, have real 
issues um, when it's whether it's race or whether it's class. So I think for me, it's not been that hard to keep my political views out because the things that I, I feel most strongly about, I think are things that journalism should be about, which is I do think that we should call out lies. I do think that racism is wrong. I do think that black people deserve to be treated equally, much like Asian Americans or Latino Americans. And I think that 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 foundation of feeling like, yes, I do believe that people should be treated equally that guides my reporting. So maybe sometimes people think, oh, I'm, 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 I'm sharing my opinion because I think African-Americans being killed at two and a half times the rate of white people is actually a problem. I don't think that African-Americans are inherently any more criminal than any other race. So that to me, those are the type of things that I think might sometimes look like political opinions when I feel like they're ways for our country to look at itself and, and, and confront the hard truths that this country has never been equal and we need to get to a a better place um, and, and work toward being more equal. But, mm. it, but in terms of politics in particular, I have really big questions for every candidate that ever has ever run for president. Um, and I, I think I've also got into some contentious exchanges when, with, with both parties, especially when I was covering Bernie Sanders for the New York Times. So I know that my political bias and what I, what I think about politics doesn't really bleed into the, the way that I ask questions because I've got yelled at by both the political sides for sure. Well, let me see if I can squeak, sneak Tommy from Walnut Creek in. Hi, Tommy. Oh, my gosh. You're Michelle Center. You're my hero. Thank you. That's so um, sweet. An absolute super fan. I'm a regular 54-year-old suburban dad. Um, daughters who I tell to watch all the time. One of them um, might be a photojournalist one day. And, uh, yeah, the way you stood calm in front of, <laughs> in front of 45 and, and kept your professionalism was just amazing. I have a T-shirt that has your sepia picture on it with a true superhero, uh, you know, thing on it. And just watching you and Judy and Lisa and Amy and Tamara is just Aww. inspiring. So, yeah, we, it's just absolute love. I, I, in fact, so I even much. set the, the, the DVR on the, uh, before your first uh, Friday show came on, and I have it set every week. And I watch it religiously as I do watch the PBS NewsHour. Thank you for bringing true like trueness to to the world of media because we've just really suffered through um through some times when that hasn't been it and you're an absolute um lighthouse of of, of hope yay thank well, you Tommy, thank you that's so nice i'm so glad you got a chance to talk with yamish that was so special i'm so i'm i just got goosebumps from that conversation i i really really appreciate it i feel like that's what our guiding light should be. It should be people who are watching with their daughters, people who want truth. So it just, it warms my heart that you're able to set your DVR for, for news hour and for Washington week, especially this Friday, since we're competing with the Olympics, um, but it's, it's great. <laughs> well, yeah, Misha Elsinder, I cannot echo Tommy enough. I thank you so much for coming on and giving us your time when I know that you're preparing for a show. <laughs> so really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. Yamish Alcindor, moderator of Washington Week, White House correspondent for the PBS NewsHour. And thank you to our listeners for your calls, comments, and compliments. And thank you to Grace One for producing this segment. Forum is also produced by Tina Lauerberg, Ariana Prail, Blanca Torres, and Caroline Smith. Susan Britton is lead producer. Our acting senior editor is Judy Campbell. Engineers Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, and Brendan Willard. Interns Kimia Akbari and Jennifer Ng. Our executive editor is Ethan Tovin Lindsay, our chief content officer, Holly Kernan, and I am Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio and the Germanicos Foundation and the Generosity Foundation. 
Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Did you ever wonder what it's like to live alone, hidden in the woods, not speaking to a single soul for 30 years? Or wander the desert, uncover a hidden well, and dive to the bottom of the deepest water hole for 2,000 miles? The Snap Judgment Podcast takes you there with amazing stories told by the people who live them with an original soundscape that drops you directly into their shoes. Snap Judgment. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.